The Throne of Fire, Chapter 21, We Buy Some Time. After saying goodbye to Zia at the Great Pyramid, I didn't think I could possibly get more depressed. I was wrong. Standing on the docks at the Lake of Fire, I felt like I might as well do a cannonball into the lava. It wasn't fair. We'd come all this way and risked so much just to be beaten by a time limit. Game over. How was anyone supposed to succeed in bringing back Ra? It was impossible. Carter, this isn't a game. The voice of Horace said inside my head, It isn't supposed to be possible. You must keep going. I didn't see why. The gates of the eighth house were already closed. Menshikov had sailed on and left us behind. Maybe that had been his plan all along. He'd let us wake Ra only partially, so the sun god remained old and feeble. Then Menshikov would leave us trapped in the duat, while he used whatever evil magic he'd planned to free Apophis. When the dawn came, there would be no sunrise, no return of Ra. Instead, Apophis would rise and destroy civilization. Our friends would have fought all night at Brooklyn House for nothing. Twenty-four hours from now, when we finally managed to leave the Duat, we'd find the world a dark, frozen wasteland, ruled by chaos. Everything we cared about would be gone, and that Apophis could swallow Ra and complete his victory. Why should we keep charging forward when the battle was lost? A general never shows despair, Horace said. He instills confidence in his troops. He leads them forward, even into the mouth of death. You're Mr. Cheerful, I thought. Who invited you back into my head? But as irritating as Horace was, he had a point. Sadie had talked about hope, about believing that we could make Mott out of chaos, even if it seemed impossible. Maybe that was all we could do, keep on trying, keep on believing we could salvage something from the disaster. Amos, Zia, Walt, Jazz, Bast, and our young trainees, all of them were counting on us. If our friends were still alive, I couldn't give up. I owed them better than that. Tawaret escorted us to the sunboat while a couple of her shabdi carried Ra aboard. Bess, I'm so sorry, she said. I wish there was more I could do. It's not your fault. Bess held out his hand like he wanted to shake, but when their fingers touched, he clasped hers. Tawet, it was never your fault. She sniffled. Oh, Bess. Wee! Wah, Ra interrupted as the shabdi set him in the boat. See, zebras. Wee! Bess cleared his throat. <clears> throat. let go of his hands. You, you should go. Perhaps Aru will provide an answer. Aru? I asked. Who's that? Tawaret didn't exactly smile, but her eyes softened with kindness. Not who, my dear. Where? It's the seventh house. Tell your father hello. My spirits lifted just a little. Dad will be there? Good luck, Carter and Sadie. Tawaret kissed us both on the cheek, which felt sort of like getting sideswiped by a 
friendly, bristly, slightly moist blimp. The goddess looked at Bess, and I was sure she was going to cry. Then she turned and hurried up the steps, her shopty behind her. Weasels are sick, Ross said thoughtfully. On that bit of godly wisdom, we boarded the ship. The glowing crew lights manned the oars, and the sunboat pulled away from the docks. Eat. Ra began gumming a piece of rope. No, you can't eat that, you old git, Sadie chatted. Uh, kid, Beth said. Maybe you shouldn't call the king of the gods an old git. Well, he is, Sadie said. Come on, Ra, come into the tent. I want you to see something. No tent, he muttered. Zebras. Sadie tried to grab his arm, but he crawled away from her and stuck out his tongue. Finally, she shook, she took the pharaoh's crook from my belt, without asking, of course, and waved it like a dog bone. Want the crook, Ra? Nice, tasty crook? Ra grabbed for it weakly. Sadie backed up and eventually managed to coax Ra into the pavilion. As soon as he reached the empty dais, a brilliant light exploded around him, completely blinding me. Carter, look, Sadie cried. I wish I could. I blinked the yellow spots out of my eyes. On the dais stood a chair of molten gold, a fiery throne carved with glowing white hieroglyphs. It looked just like Sadie had described from her vision, but in real life, it was the most beautiful terrifying piece of furniture I'd ever seen. The crew lights buzzed around it in excitement, brighter than ever. Rod didn't seem to notice the chair, or he didn't care. His hospital gown had changed into regal robes with a collar of gold, but he still just looked like the same old withered man. Have a seat, Sadie told him. Don't want a chair, he muttered. That was almost a complete sentence, I said. Maybe it's a good sign? Zebras! Ra grabbed the crook from Sadie and hobbled across the deck, yelling, Wee! Wee! Lord Ra! Bess called. Careful! I considered tackling the sun god before he could fall out of the boat, but I didn't know how the crew would react to that. Then Ra solved our problems for us. He smacked into the mast and crumpled to the deck. We all rushed forward, but the old god seemed only dazed. He drooled and muttered as we dragged him back into the pavilion and set him on his throne. It was tricky because the throne gave off heat of about a thousand degrees, and I didn't want to catch fire again. But the heat didn't seem to bother Ra. We stepped back and looked at the, at the king of the gods slumped in his chair snoring and cradling his crook like a teddy bear. I placed the war flail across his lap, hoping it might make a difference, maybe complete his powers or something. No such luck. Sick weasels, Ra muttered. Behold, Sadie said bitterly, the glorious Ra. Bess shot her an irritated look. That's right, kid, make fun. We gods just love to have mortals laughing at us. Sadie's expression softened. I'm sorry, Bess, I didn't mean. Whatever. He stormed to the prow of the boat. 
Sadie gave me a pleading look. Honestly, I didn't. He's just stressed, I told her. Like all of us. It'll be okay. Sadie brushed a tear from her cheek. The world is about to end. We're stuck in the duat, and you think it'll be okay? We're going to see Dad. I tried to sound confident, even though I didn't feel it. A general never shows despair. He'll help us. We sailed through the lake of fire until the shores narrowed and the flaming current turned back into water. The glow of the lake faded behind us. The river got swifter, and I knew we'd entered the fifth house. I thought about Dad and whether or not he'd really be able to help us. The last few months, he'd been strangely silent. I guess that shouldn't have surprised me since he was the lord of the underworld now. He probably didn't get good cell phone reception down here. Still, the idea of seeing him at the moment of my biggest failure made me nervous. Even though the river was dark, the throne of fire was almost too bright to look at. Our boat cast a warm glow over the shores. On either side of the river, ghostly villages appeared out of the gloom. Lost souls ran to the riverbank to watch us pass. After so many millennia in the darkness, they looked stunned to see the sun god. Many tried to shout for joy, but their mouths made no sound. Others stretched out their arms towards Ra. They smiled as if they basked in his warm light. Their forms seemed to solidify. Color returned to their faces and their clothes. As they faded behind us in the darkness, I was left with the image of their grateful faces and outstretched hands. Somehow, that made me feel better. At least we'd shown them the sun one last time before chaos destroyed the world. I wondered if Amos and our friends were still alive, defending Brooklyn House against Vlad Menshikov's attack squad and waiting for us to show up. I wish I could see Zia again, if only to apologize for failing her. The fifth and sixth houses passed quickly though I couldn't be sure how much time actually went by. We saw more ghost villages, beaches made of bones, entire caverns where a winged ba flew around in confusion, bonking into walls and swarming the sunboat like moths around a porch light. We navigated some scary rapids, though the glowing light crew made it look easy. A few times, dragon-like monsters rode out of the river, but Bess yelled, Boo! and the monsters whimpered and sank beneath the water. Ra slipped through it all, snoring fitfully on his burning throne. Finally, the river slowed and widened. The water turned as smooth as melted chocolate. The sunboat entered a new cavern, and the ceiling overhead blazed with blue crystals, reflecting Ra's light so it looked like the regular sun was crossing a brilliant blue sky. Marsh grass and palm trees lined the shore. Further away, rolling green hills were dotted with cozy-looking white adobe cottages. A flock of geese flew overhead. The air smelled like jasmine and fresh-baked bread. My whole body relaxed, the way you might feel after a long trip when you walk into your house and finally get to collapse on your bed. Aru, Bess announced. He didn't sound as grumpy now. The worry lines on his face faded. The Egyptian afterlife. 
the seventh house. I suppose you'd call it paradise. Not that I'm complaining, Sadie said. It's much nicer than Sunny Acres, and I smell decent food at last. But does this mean we're dead? Beth shook his head. This was a regular part of Ra's nightly route. His pit stop, I guess you'd say. He would hang out for a while with his host, eat, drink, and rest up for the long stretch of his journey, which was the most dangerous. His host? I asked, though I was pretty sure whom Bess meant. Our boat tor turned toward a dock where a man and a woman stood waiting for us. Dad wore his usual brown suit. His skin glowed with a bluish tint. Mom shimmered in a ghostly white, her feet not quite touching the boards. Of course, Bess said. This is the house of Osiris. Sadie, Carter, Dad pulled us into a hug like we were still little kids, but neither of us protested. He felt solid and human, so much like his old self that it took all my willpower not to break down in tears. His goatee was neatly trimmed, his bald head gleamed, even his cologne smelled the same. Faint scent of amber. He held us at arm's length to examine us, his eyes shining. I could almost believe he was still a regular mortal, but if I looked closely, I could see another layer to his appearance, like a fuzzy, superimposed image. A blue-skinned man in white robes and the crown of a pharaoh. Around his neck was a jet amulet, the symbol of Osiris. Dan, I said, we failed. He said, none of that. This is a time to rest and renew. Mom smiled. We've been watching your progress. You've both been so brave. Seeing her was even harder than seeing Dad. I couldn't hug her because she had no physical substance. And when she touched my face, I felt like nothing more than a warm breeze. She looked exactly as I remembered. Her blonde hair loose around her shoulders her blue eyes full of life, but she was only a spirit now. Her white dress seemed to be woven from mist. If I looked directly at her, she seemed to dissolve in the light of the sunboat. I'm so proud of both of you, she said. Come, we've prepared a feast. I was in a daze as they led us ashore. Bus took charge of carrying the sun god, who seemed in a good mood after her headbutting the mast and taking a nap. Ra gave everyone a toothless grin and said, Oh, pretty. Feast? Zebras? Ghostly servants in ancient Egyptian clothes ushered us toward an outdoor pavilion lined with life-size statues of the gods. We crossed a footbridge over a moat full of albino crocodiles, which made me think about Philip of Macedonia and what might be happening back at Brooklyn House. Then I stepped inside the pavilion, and my jaw dropped. A feast was spread out on a long mahogany table, our old dining room table from the house in L.A. I could even see the notch I'd carved in the wood with my first Swiss Army knife, the only time I recall my dad getting really mad at me. The chairs were stainless steel with leather seats, <clears throat> just like I remembered. And when I looked outside... 
the view shimmered back and forth. Now the grassy hills and glittering blue sky of the afterlife. Now the white walls and huge glass windows of our old house. Oh, Sadie said in a small voice. Her eyes were fixed on the center of the table. Among platters of pizza, bowls of sugar-coated strawberries, and every other kind of food you could imagine, was a blue and white ice cream cake. The exact same cake that we'd exploded on Sadie's sixth birthday. I hope you don't mind, Mom said. I thought it was a shame you never got to taste it. Happy birthday, Sadie. Sit, please. Dad spread his arms. Bass, old friend. Would you put Lord Ra at the head of the table? I started to sit in the chair furthest from Ra, since I didn't want him slobbering all over me while he gummed his food. But Mom said, Oh, not there, dear. Sit by me. That chair is for uh, another guest. She said the last two words like they left a bitter taste in her mouth. I looked around the table. There were seven chairs and only six of us. Who else is coming? Anubis? Sadie asked hopefully. Dad chuckled. <laughs> Not Anubis, although I'm sure he'd be here if he could. Sadie slumped as if someone had let the air out of her. Yes, Sadie, you were that obvious. Where is he then? She asked. Dad hesitated just long enough for me to sense his discomfort. Away. Let's eat, shall we? I sat down and accepted a slice of birthday cake from a ghostly waiter. You wouldn't think I'd be hungry with the world ending and our mission failed. Sitting in the land of the dead at a dinner party from my past with my mom's ghost next to me and my dad the color of a blueberry. But my stomach didn't care about that. It let me know that I was still alive and I needed food. The cake was chocolate with vanilla ice cream. It tasted perfect. Before I knew it, I'd polished off my slice and was loading my plate with pepperoni pizza. The statues of the gods stood behind us. Horus, Isis, Thoth, Sobek, all keeping silent watch as we ate. Outside the pavilion, the lands of Aru spread out as if the cavern were endless. Green hills and meadows, herds of fat cattle, fields of grain, orchards full of date trees. Streams cut the marshes into a patchwork of islands, just like the Nile Delta, with picture-perfect villages for the blessed dead. Sailboats cruise the river. This is what it looks like to be to the ancient Egyptians, Dad said, as if reading my thoughts. But each soul sees Aru slightly differently. Like our house in L.A.? I asked. Our family back together around the dining table? Is this even real? Dad's eyes turned sad, the way he used to whenever I'd asked about Mom's death. The birthday cake is good, eh? He said. My little girl, 13. I can't believe. Sadie swept her plate off the table. It shattered against the stone floor. What does it matter? She shouted. The bloody sundial, the stupid gates. We failed. She buried her face in her arms and began to sob. Sadie. Mom hovered next to her like a friendly fog bank. It's all right. Moon pie, 
Ross said helpfully. A beard of cake frosting smeared around his mouth. He started to fall out of his chair, and Bess pushed him back into place. Sadie's right, I said. Ross in worse shape than we imagined. Even if we could get him back to the mortal world, he could never defeat Apophis, unless Apophis laughs to death. Dad frowned. Carter, he is still Ra, Pharaoh of the gods. Show some respect. Don't like bubbles. Ross swatted at the glowing servant light that was trying to wipe his mouth. Lord Ra, Dad said, do you remember me? I'm Osiris. You dined here at my table every night, resting before your journey toward the dawn. Do you recall? Want a weasel, Ross said. Sadie slapped the table. What does that even mean? Bess scooped a fistful of chocolate-covered things, was afraid they might be grasshoppers, and tossed them into his mouth. We haven't finished the Book of Ra. We'd need to find Kifri. Dad stroked his goatee. Yes, the spirit, the scarab god. Ra's form is the rising sun. Perhaps if you found Kifri, Ra could be fully reborn. But you would need to pass through the gates of the eighth house. Which are closed, I said. We'd have to, like, reverse time. Bess stopped munching grasshoppers. His eyes widened like he just had a revelation. He looked at my dad incredulously. Him? You invited him? Who? I asked. What do you mean? I stared at my dad, but he wouldn't meet my eyes. Dad, what is it? I demanded. There's a way through the gates? Can you teleport us to the other side or something? I wish I could, Carter. But the journey must be followed. It is part of Ra's rebirth. I can't interfere with that. However, you're right. You need extra time. There might be a way through I'd never suggest if the stakes weren't so high. It's dangerous, our mom warned. I think it's too dangerous. What's too dangerous? Sadie asked. Me, I suppose, said a voice behind me. I turned and found a man standing with his hands on the back of my chair. Either he'd approached so silently I hadn't heard him, or he'd materialized out of thin air. He looked about 20, thin and tall and kind of glamorous. His face was totally human, but his irises were silver. His head was shaven, except for a glossy black ponytail on one side of his head, like ancient Egyptian youth used to wear. His silvery suit looked to have been tailored in Italy. I only know that because Amos and my dad both paid a lot of attention to suits. The fabric shimmered like some bizarre mix of silk and aluminum foil. His shirt was black and collarless, and several pounds of platinum chains hung around his neck. The biggest piece of bling was a silver crescent amulet. When his fingers drummed on the back of my chair, his rings and platinum Rolex flashed. If I'd seen him in the mortal world, I might have guessed he was a young Native American billionaire casino owner. But here in the Duat, 
with that crescent-shaped amulet around his neck. Moon pie! Rock cackled with delight. You're Kansu, I guessed. The moon god. He gave me a wolfish grin, looking at me as if I were an appetizer. At your service, he said. Care to play a game? Not you, Bess growled. Kansu spread his arms in a big bear hug. Bess, old buddy, how have you been? Don't old buddy me, you scam artist. I'm hurt. Kansu sat down on my right and leaned toward me conspiratorially. Poor Bess gambled with me ages ago, you see. He wanted more time with Bast. He wagered a few feet of his height. I'm afraid he lost. That's not what happened, Bess roared. Gentlemen, my father said in his sternest dad tone, you are both guests at my table. I won't have any fighting. Absolutely, Osiris, Kansu beamed at him. I'm honored to be here. And these are your famous children? Wonderful. Are you ready to play, kids? Julius, they don't understand the risks, our mother protested. We can't let them do this. Hang on, Sadie said. Do what, exactly? Kansu snapped his fingers and all the food on the table disappeared, replaced by a glowing silver senate board. Haven't you heard about me, Sadie? Didn't Isis tell you some stories? Or Newt? Now there was a gambler. The sky goddess wouldn't stop playing until she'd won five whole days from me. Do you know the odds of winning that much time? Astronomical. Of course, she's covered with stars, so I suppose she is astronomical. Kansu laughed at his own joke. He didn't seem bothered that no one joined him. I remember, I said, you gambled with Newt and she won enough moonlight to create five extra days, the demon days. That let her get around Ross' commandment that her five children couldn't be born on any day of the year. Nuts, Ra muttered. Bad nuts. The moon god raised an eyebrow. Dear me, Ra is in bad shape, isn't he? But yes, Carter Kane, you're absolutely right. I'm the moon god, but I also have some influence over time. I can lengthen or shorten the lives of mortals. Even gods can be affected by my powers. The moon is changeable, you see. Its light waxes and wanes in my hand. Time can also wax and wane. You need, what, about three extra hours? I can weave that for you out of moonlight. If you and your sister are willing to gamble for it, I can make it so the gates of the eighth house have not yet closed. I didn't understand how we could possibly do that. Back up time, insert three extra hours into the night. But for the first time since Sunny Acres, I felt a small spark of hope. If you can help, why not just give us the extra time? The fate of the world is at stake. Kansu laughed. <laughs> Good one. Give you time. <laughs> no, seriously. If I started giving away something that valuable, Mott would crumble. Sides, 
You can't play Senate without gambling. Bess can tell you that. Bess spit a chocolate grasshopper leg out of his mouth. Don't do it, Carter. You know what they say about Kansu in the old days? Some of the pyramids have a poem about him carved into the stones. It's called the Cannibal Hymn. For a price, Kansu would help the pharaoh slay any gods who were bothering him. Kansu would devour their souls and gain their strength. The moon god rolled his eyes. Ancient history, Bess. I haven't devoured a soul in... What month is this? March? At any rate. I've completely adapted to this modern world. I'm quite civilized now. You should see my penthouse at the Luxor in Las Vegas. I mean, thank you. America has a proper civilization. He smiled at me, his silver eyes flashing like a shark's. So what do you say, Carter? Sadie. Play me at Senate. Three pieces for me, three for you. You'll need three hours of moonlight. So you, too, will need one additional person to stake a wager. For every piece your team manages to move off the board, I'll grant you an hour. If you win, that's three extra hours. Just enough time to make it past the gates of the eighth house. And if we lose, I asked. Oh, you know. Kansu waved his hand as if this weren't an annoying technicality. For each piece I move off the board, I'll take a wren from one of you. Sadie sat forward. You'll take our secret names, as in we have to share them with you? Share. Kansu stroked his ponytail as if trying to remember the word meaning. No, no sharing. I'll devour your wren. See? Erase part of our souls? Sadie said. Take our memories, our identity? The moon god shrugged. On the bright side, you won't die. You just turn into a vegetable? Sadie guessed. Like Ra there? Don't want vegetables. Ra muttered irritably. He tried to chew on Bess's shirt, but the dwarf god scooted away. Three hours, I said, wagered against three souls. Carter, Sadie, you don't have to do this, my mother said. We don't expect you to take this risk. I've seen her so many times in pictures and in my memories, but for the first time, it really struck me how much she looked like Sadie, or how much... Sadie was starting to look like her. They both had the same fiery determination in their eyes. They both tilted their chins up when they were expecting a fight. And they both weren't very good at hiding their feelings. I could tell from Mom's shaky voice that she realized what had to happen. She was telling us we had options, but she knew very well we didn't. I looked at Sadie, and we came to a silent agreement. Mom, it's okay. You gave your life to close Apophis's prison. How can we back out? Kansu rubbed his hands. Ah, yes, Apophis's prison. Your friend Menshikov is there right now, loosening the serpent's bonds. I have so many bets on what will happen. Will you get there in time to stop him? Will you return Ra to the world? Will you defeat Menshikov? I'm giving a hundred to one on that. 
Mom turned desperately to my father. Julius, tell them. It's too dangerous. My dad was still holding a plate of half-eaten birthday cake. He stared at the melting ice cream as if it were the saddest thing in the world. Carter and Sadie, he said at last. I brought Kansu here so that you'd have a choice. But whatever you do, I'm still proud of you. If the world ends tonight, that won't change. He met my eyes and I could see how much it hurt him to think about losing us. Last Christmas at the British Museum, he'd sacrificed his life to release Osiris and restore balance to the Duat. He left Sadie and me alone and I'd resented him a long time for that. Now I realized what it was like to be in this position. He'd been willing to give up everything, even life, for a bigger purpose. I understand, Dad, I told him. We're Canes. We don't run from hard choices. He didn't answer, but he nodded slowly. His eyes burned with fierce pride. For once, Sadie said, Carter's right. Kansu, we'll play your stupid game. Excellent, Kansu said. That's two souls, two hours to win. Uh, but you'll need three hours to get to the gates on time, won't you? Hmm. I'm afraid you can't use Ra. He's not in his right mind. Your mother is already dead. Your father is the judge of the underworld, so he's disqualified from soul wagering. I'll do it, Bess said. His face was grim, but determined. Oh, buddy, Kansu cried. I'm delighted. Stuff it, moon god, Bess said. I don't like it, but I'll do it. Bess, I said, you've done enough for us. Bass would never expect you. I'm not doing it for Bass, he grumbled. Then he took a deep breath. Look, you kids are the real deal. Last couple of days, for the first time in ages, I've felt wanted again, important. Not like a sideshow attraction. If things go wrong, just tell Towerette. <clears throat> he cleared his throat and gave Sadie a meaningful look. Tell her I tried to turn back the clock. Oh, Bess. Sadie got up and ran around the table. She hugged the dwarf god and kissed his cheek. All right, all right, he muttered. Don't go sappy on me. Let's play this game. Time is money. Council agreed. Our parents stood. We cannot stay for this, Dad said, but children. He didn't seem to know how to complete the thought. Good luck probably wouldn't have cut it. I could see the guilt and worry in his eyes, but he was trying hard not to show it. A good general, Horace would have said. We love you, our mother finished. You will prevail. With that, our parents turned to mist and vanished. Everything outside the pavilion darkened like a set stage. The Senate game began to glow brighter. Shiny, Ross said. Three blue pieces for you, Kansu said. Three silver pieces for me. Now, who's feeling lucky? The game started well enough. Sadie had skill at tossing the sticks. Bess had several thousand years of gaming experience. Then I got the job of moving the pieces and making sure Rod didn't eat them. 
At first, it wasn't obvious who was winning. We just rolled and moved, and it was hard to believe we were playing for our souls or true names or whatever you want to call them. We bumped one of Kansu's pieces back to start, but he didn't seem upset. He seemed delighted by just about everything. Doesn't it bother you? I asked at one point. Devouring innocent souls? Not really. He polished his crescent amulet. Why should it? But we're trying to save the world, Sadie said. Ma, the gods, everything. Don't you care if the world crumbles into chaos? Oh, it wouldn't be so bad, Kansu said. Change comes in phases. Mott and chaos, chaos and Mott. Being the moon god, I appreciate variation. Now, Ra, poor guy, he's always stuck to a schedule. Same path every night, so predictable and boring. Retiring was the most interesting thing he ever did. If Apophis takes over and swallows the sun, well, I suppose the moon will still be there. You're insane, Sadie said. <laughs> I'll bet you five extra minutes of moonlight that I'm perfectly sane. <sighs> Forget it, Sadie said. Just roll. Kansu tossed the sticks. The bad news? He made alarming progress. He rolled a five and got one of his pieces almost to the end of the board. The good news? The piece got stuck at the House of Three Truths, which meant he could only roll a three to get out. Bess studied the board intently. He didn't seem to like what he saw. We had one piece way back at the start and two pieces on the last row of the board. Careful now, Kansu warned. This is where it gets interesting. Sadie rolled a four, which gave us two options. Our lead piece could go out, or our second piece could bump Kansu's piece from the House of Three Truths and send it back to start. Bump him, I said. It's safer. Beth shook his head. Then we're stuck in the House of Three Truths. The chance of him rolling a three are slim. Take your first piece out. That way you'll be assured of at least an extra hour. But one extra hour won't do it, Sadie said. Kansu seemed to be enjoying our indecision. He sipped wine from a silvery goblet and smiled. Meanwhile, Ra entertained himself by trying to pick the spikes off his war flail. Ow, ow, ow! My forehead beaded with sweat. Now I was sweating in a board game? Bess, are you sure? It's your best bet, he said. Bess, bet? <laughs> Kansu chuckled. <laughs> nice. I wanted to smack the moon god, but I kept my mouth shut. I moved our first piece out of play. Congratulations, Kansu said. I owe you one hour of moonlight. Now it's my turn. He tossed the sticks. They clattered on the dining table, and I felt like someone had snipped an elevator cable in my chest, plunging my heart straight down a shaft. Kansu had rolled a three. Whoopsie! Rod dropped his flail. Kansu moved his piece out of play. Oh, what a shame. Now, whose wren do I collect first? No, please. Sadie said, trade back. Take the hour you owe us instead. 
those aren't the rules, Kansu chided. I looked down at the gouge I'd made in the table when I was eight. I knew what memory was about to disappear. Like all my others, if I gave my run to Kansu, at least Sadie could still cast the final part of the spell. She would need best to protect her and advise her. I was the only expendable one. I started to say, I... Me, said Bess. The move was my idea. Bess, no, Sadie cried. The dwarf stood. He planted his feet and balled his fists like he was getting ready to let loose with a boo. I wish he'd do that and scare Kansu. But instead, he looked at us with resignation. It was part of the strategy, kids. What? I asked. You plan this? He slipped off his Hawaiian shirt and folded it carefully, setting it on the table. Most important thing is getting all three of your pieces off the board and losing no more than one. This was the only way to do it. You'll beat him easily now. Sometimes you have to lose a piece to win the game. So true, Kansu said. What a delight, a god's wren. Are you ready, Bess? Bess, don't, I pleaded. This isn't right. He scowled at me. Hey, kid, you were willing to sacrifice. Are you saying I'm not as brave as some pipsqueak magician? Besides, I'm a god. Who knows? Sometimes we come back. Now, win the game and get out of here. Kick Menshikov in the knee for me. I tried to think of something to say, something that would stop this, but Beth said, I'm ready. Kansu closed his eyes and inhaled deeply, like he was enjoying some fresh mountain air. Beth's form flickered. He dissolved into a montage of lightning-fast images. A troop of dwarves dancing at a temple in the firelight. A crowd of Egyptians partying at a festival, carrying Bess and Bast on their shoulders. Bess and Tawaret in togas at some Roman villa, eating grapes and laughing together on a sofa. Bess, dressed like George Washington in a powdered wig and silk suit, doing cartwheels in front of some British redcoats. Bess in the olive fatigues of a U.S. Marine, scaring away a demon in a World War II Nazi uniform. As his silhouette melted, more recent images flickered past. Bess in a chauffeur's uniform with a placard that read, Cain. Bess pulling us out of a sinking limo in the Mediterranean. Bess casting spells on me in Alexandria when I was poisoned, trying desperately to heal me. Bess and me in the back of the Bedouin's pickup truck, sharing goat meat and Vaseline-flavored water as we traveled along the bank of the Nile. His last memory? Two kids, Sadie and me, looking at him with love and concern. Then the image faded, and Bess was gone. Even his Hawaiian shirt had disappeared. You took all of him, I yelled. His body, everything. That wasn't the deal. Kansu opened his eyes and sighed deeply. (sighs) That was lovely. He smiled at us as if nothing had happened. I believe it's your turn. His silver eyes were cold and luminous, and I had a feeling that for the rest of my life, I would hate looking at the moon. Maybe it was rage or best strategy, or maybe we just got lucky, 
But the rest of the game, Sadie and I destroyed Kansu easily. We bumped his pieces at every opportunity. Within five minutes, our last piece was off the board. Kansu spread his hands. Well done. Three hours are yours. If you hurry, you can make the gates of the eighth house. I hate you, Sadie said. It was the first she'd spoken since Bess disappeared. You're cold, calculating, horrible. And I'm just what you needed. Kansu took off his platinum Rolex and wound back the time. One, two, three hours. All around us, the statues of the, of the gods flickered and jumped like the world was being slammed into reverse. Now, Kansu said, would you like to spend your hard-earned time complaining? Or do you want to save this poor old fool of a king? Zebras? Ra muttered hopefully. Where are our parents? I asked. At least let us say goodbye. Kansu shook his head. Time is precious, Carter Kane. You should have learned that lesson. It's best that I send you on your way, but... If you ever want to gamble with me again... For seconds, hours, even days, just let me know. Your credit is good. I couldn't stand it. I lunged at Kansu, but the moon god vanished. The whole pavilion faded, and Sadie and I were standing on the dock of the sunboat again, sailing down the dark river. The glowing crew lights buzzed around us, manning the oars and trimming the sail. Raya sat on his fiery throne, Playing with a crook and flail like they were puppets, having an imaginary conversation. In front of us, a pair of enormous stone gates loomed out of the darkness. Eight massive snakes were carved into the rock, four on each side. The gates were slowly closing, but the sunboat slipped through just in time, and we passed into the eighth house. I have to say, the house of challenges didn't seem very challenging. We fought monsters, yes. Serpents loomed out of the river. Demons arose. Ships full of ghosts tried to board the sunboat. We destroyed them all. I was so angry, so devastated at losing Bess that I imagined every threat was the moon god, Kansu. Our enemies didn't stand a chance. Sadie cast spells I'd never seen her use before. She summoned sheets of ice that probably matched her emotions, leaving several demon icebergs in our wake. She turned an entire ship full of pirate ghosts into Kansu bobbleheads, then vaporized them in a miniature nuclear explosion. Meanwhile, Ra played happily with his toys while the light servants flitted around the deck in agitation. Apparently sensing that our journey was reaching a critical phase, the ninth, tenth, and eleventh hours passed in a blur. From time to time, I heard a splash in the water behind us like the oar of another boat. I looked back, wondering if Menshikov had somehow gotten on our tail again, but I didn't see anything. If something was following us, it knew better than to show itself. At last, I heard a roar up ahead, like another waterfall or a stretch of rapids. The light orbs worked furiously, taking down the sails, pushing on the oars, but we kept gaining speed. We passed under a low archway carved like the goddess Newt, her starry limbs stretched out protectively, and her face smiling in welcome. I got the feeling we were entering the twelfth house, 
the last part of the duop before we emerged into a new dawn. I hoped to see light at the end of the tunnel, literally, but instead our path had been sabotaged. I could see where the river was supposed to go. The tunnel continued ahead, slowly winding out of the duot. I could even smell fresh air, the scent of the mortal world. <coughs> but the far end of the tunnel had been drained into a field of mud. In front of us, the river plunged into a massive pit, like an asteroid had punched a hole in the earth and diverted the water straight down. We were racing toward the drop. We could jump, Sadie said, abandon ship. But I think we came to the same conclusion. We needed the sunboat. We needed Ra. We had to follow the course of the river, wherever it led. It's a trap, Sadie said, the work of Apophis. I know, I said. Let's go tell him we don't like his work. We both grabbed the mast as the ship plunged into the maelstrom. It seemed like we fell forever. You know the feeling when you dive to the bottom of a deep pool? Like your nose and ears are going to explode and your eyes are going to pop out of your head? Imagine that feeling a hundred times worse. We were sinking into the duat, deeper than we'd ever been. Deeper than any mortal was supposed to go. The molecules in my body felt like they were heating up, buzzing so fast they might fly apart. We didn't crash. We didn't hit bottom. The boat simply flipped directions. Like down had become sideways and we sailed into a cavern that glowed with harsh red light. The magical pressure was so intense that my ears rang. I was nauseated and could barely think straight, but I recognized the shoreline up ahead. A beach made of millions of dead scarab shells shifting and surging as a force underneath massive serpent shape struggled to break free dozens of demons were digging through the scarab shells with shovels and standing on the shore waiting for us patiently was vlad menshikov his clothes charred and smoking his staff glowing with green fire welcome children he called across the water gum Join me for the end of the world.